Well, folks, would you like to turn your Bibles uh, to Colossians chapter 1? And I'll stay near the mic. And um, so if you're trying to figure out what that is, you know it's in the last sort of quarter or third of the Bible after Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and then they're the primary letters of Romans and the two Corinthian letters and then that's after that there's all these little letters which are really hard to find. So I kind of think about uh, Gal, Effie, uh, Cole and Phil. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians and Philippians. So if somebody says turn to Thessalonians, you know it's not in the first four of those little pages. So go past there. Gal, Effie, Cole and Phil. I did get that right, didn't I? I didn't get Phil and Cole. I didn't have a good feeling about that. Don't you love it? Leading your Australian, I haven't even started the intro yet. Oh, well. Yeah, so Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians and Colossians. Terrific. Yes? Did I do that right? Hang on a minute. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right. We're both on the same page theoretically. Colossians chapter 1. A lot of people ask the question about Jesus. There are all kinds of different pictures of him. There are all kinds of different understandings of him. We all create many of us our own perspectives concerning him. Sometimes it's so that we can better embrace him and sometimes it's so that we can actually put him aside and we can ignore him. Uh, back in the 80s and in the 90s there was the, the Jesus seminar which sought to kind of explore who the historical Jesus was and, and it morphed into a thing through the noughties uh, called the Jesus Project intended really to dumb down Jesus and diminish him in, in effect. Uh, some of our Christian and, and we'd say perhaps Catholic understandings and Catholic meaning universal understandings of Christ uh, would, would, it's at these points that we can sometimes we would separate ourselves from others who may present initially as a bit Christian, like Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. There are different teachings within them that effectively would separate us, uh, as we might call more in the Christian, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodoxy, about how we understand Jesus. So, returning to Colossians chapter one. And I've used, I've used this morning as my scholarship base uh, just F.F. Bruce. I, I, th- this is such a big subject, the last thing I need is too many voices in my head when it comes to trying to come up with uh, a 30 minutes, you know. So I decided just sit with F.F. Bruce. Uh, does anybody know who F.F. Bruce is? Yes. yes, we've heard of him before around these circles. Yeah. He... he uh, was the Rylands Professor of Biblical Criticism and Exegesis at the University of Manchester. Uh, After teaching Greek for several years, first at the University of Edinburgh and then the University of Leeds, he came to be head of the Department of Biblical History and Literature at the University of Sheffield and then he moved to the University of Manchester where he became Professor of Biblical Criticism and Exegesis. And exegesis um, is a word for exploring and understanding and unpacking the Bible and, and Holy Scripture, exegesis. You've got to be careful because sometimes you can go overboard and you wind up exiting Jesus. So, that was good, wasn't it? Didn't you think? Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought. Um, he wrote many, many books. Now, the thing is that he does come from that brethren tradition and, and I guess that's why many of us might know of F.F. F. Bruce. Anybody want to have a go at what his actual names are? Where does F.F. come from? Any? Very good, John. Frederick, middle name, Fivey. F-Y-V-I-E. Frederick Fivey Bruce. What were they thinking? <laughs> if, <laughs> if I'd had that name put on me, I guess I'd want to be F.F. as well. But let me, let me just... Uh, we're going to zone in and just for the sake of where we sit today in terms of time, won't worry too much about the background to the Colossian letter. There was some some uh, inference of some heresy out there which Paul seemed to be addressing but we're kind of a bit unclear about exactly what it was but the supremacy of Christ from verse 15. I want to sit in just on a few of these verses. Uh, F.F. Bruce has said, he has named these verses from 15 to 20 as a hymn in honour of Christ a hymn in honour of Christ. I love them. They're so gorgeous, these kids. And it doesn't matter whether you spend 2000 or 20000 on PA, they'll get over the top of it every time. And, and Bruce starts off by saying at this passage, Christ is presented as the agent, the agent of God in the whole range of his gracious purpose toward the human race from the primeval work of creation through the redemption accomplished as history's midpoint onto the new creation in which the divine purpose will be consummated. Um, we've been, the world has been muchly blessed by this uh, Christian brethren scholar over the years. But I tried, I, I thought... The least I can do is try to come up with a better title for this morning's message than F.F. F. Bruce could come up with. So he called it a hymn in honour of Christ. So I'm ramping it up a bit and I'm calling this, uh, these verses and this message this morning an anthem in honour of him in capital letters, exclamation mark. An anthem in honour of him. That's pretty cool, Daniel, don't you think? I did... Get it better, didn't I? Yeah. Let's read First Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20. The supremacy of Christ, it says in the NIV translation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Echoes of what Ken brought in that video this morning, isn't it? He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Sometimes people ask, what's God like? And like we were saying about Jesus, we come up with all kinds of personal philosophies about God, his nature, his character, whether he's supernatural. A lot of people ask, well, if God created the heavens and the earth, who created God? You, you know, we, we, similar to Jesus in a sense, particularly in Christendom, in the Western, largely Western nations where, where the Christian or the Judeo-Christian worldview has been dominant, we tend to see God in, and Jesus in those kind of terms and so we, we kind of generally understand, most of us even in the increasingly secular Australia, um, uh, what we mean when we talk about God and Jesus and we tend to decide how much of that we accept for ourselves as we grow up and form our own views about things. It's a tough question, what is God like? But it actually has an easy answer. It's Jesus, Jesus Christ. The Christ is the very image of God, it says here in the first verse 15. His nature, his character, his being perfectly revealed in his son Jesus. Jesus himself said to his disciples towards the end of his, just prior to to him being crucified, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And you can keep your finger in this passage if you've got your Bibles with you and if you haven't, just close your eyes or whatever as I read things um, and and allow the words to come to you uh, fresh in your mind. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to flip, we'll just be going backwards a little bit into some of other Paul's letters. The Second Corinthians chapter 4 and a couple of verses. Verse 4, The God of this age, uh, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let, there be, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If we want to know who God is, what God's like, we look to Christ. It's a big claim because God is pretty big. As the firstborn, it says here, the firstborn over all creation in verse 15, Jesus Christ is before all things. He is the heir of all things. Everything created by him and for him. God didn't actually create Jesus. God didn't even birth Jesus before he came to earth. He was with God the Father from the very beginning. In fact, he was the agent of creation from the very beginning. The earth, everything on the earth, everything below and above, created by him and for him. That is Jesus Christ. 
even as it says in verse 16, all things created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones. So we can be talking about physical powers on earth. We can also be talking about supernatural powers in the spirit realm. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. All things are subject to Christ. I don't know whether any of us have ever experienced spiritual oppression and, and it can, we can feel lost in a hole, we can be in a very, very dark place, we can feel like we're in a thicket and nothing is making sense and we get very depressed and, we, and it gets very, very dark and we wonder if there is a way out. There is a way out because there is actually a higher authority than anything or anyone that can come against you and his name is Jesus Christ and these other authorities and these other imposters in a sense that would seek to present themselves as above all are subject to Christ. Jesus Christ is the agent of creation we learn from these verses. All were created by him Jesus Christ is the epicentre of creation and for me when it says all was created for him it's like there's a sense in this in the original text or the original language of it in the Greek all are created to tend him to do for him to serve him, be subject to him the Christ is the creator And we learn here also he is before all things in verse 17 and in him all things hold together. Not only did he bring all this into being and we're talking about the whole of the universe and that beyond which we do not know. He brought it all into being but he also sustains it. He holds it by his authority. Verse 18 says this and here we have a little kind of turn in the direction. Um, Paul Paul began the letter to the Colossians uh, welcoming the Colossians, thanking them for their their faith, uh, encouraging them, raising them up, lifting them up and he mentioned towards the end, just before he gets into this uh, doctrine of, of Christ and the supremacy of Christ in verse 13, he says, For he has rescued us from the domination of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So coming into this and so he talks in broad strokes about this almighty Christ, all encompassing, all powerful, all sustaining Lord of the universe and then in verse 18 he says, and he is the head of the body, the church, more resonance from earlier today in our worship, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So we bring it down a little bit closer to us, to his people, to the church. The Christ is the head of his body, the church. That is, he is is head as in the source of the church or as in the origin of of the church, he is the source of the life of the church. 
But also there's another sense in, in using the word head as Lord, like you would be Lord of, of your fiefdom and Lord of your kingdom. He is Lord and that is in the way that he exercises control and gives direction and we draw our spiritual life from him, obey him and perform his tasks. So he's functioning as a Lord in that sense. F.F. Bruce said regarding the church, and I love the word he uses here, the church is vitalised by his abiding presence with it and his risen life within it. I love that, vitalised. Energised, he goes on to say, by his power and the instrument through which he carries on his work on earth. That's us, the church. The Lord's risen life animates us. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's just have another listen to this. Because I guess within Christian circles the common understanding or if you like the primary or foundational understanding of Christ's shed blood on the cross is for the redemption of sins, forgiveness of sins and redemption of our lost souls from the curse of death being born again from time into eternity somebody said this morning into an eternal family. However, this verse here says and, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's actually more than just you and I here at stake. And if you don't mind me is it okay if I quote F.F. F. Bruce one more time? Yeah, alright. The totality, he says. He uses big words so you've got to go slow the totality of divine essence and power is resident in Christ. He is the one all-sufficient intermediary. Now, we, we, we get a hold of this. You know, if I had my choice, I'd, I'd like to be a universalist. What's a universalist? There's somebody who believes that ultimately whatever we believe, whatever we think, whatever we do, we will all get to heaven doesn't matter whether we actually receive Christ as the Christian faith would declare or not. We all get there. You know, it would be so great if that were true. It's just not our understanding from what the Word is, is teaching. And, and we come up with all kinds of paths to God. We come up with all kinds of philosophy, philosophies in our thinking to try to give our hearts which are seeking after God and seeking after peace deep within our human psyche and within our soul, peace, and so we try to satisfy that and assuage that and kind of medicate that by coming up with kind of philosophies and worldviews that kind of bring us a bit of understanding and reason and peace. The thing is, most of the time, if we're really, really honest with ourselves, when we look at it, it's a crock. It doesn't bring us the peace that we long for so deep down. And, one of the, and this is why we sometimes it does feel a bit arrogant as the Christian to say the only way 
to God, the only way to nirvana, the only way to eternal bliss, the only way to eternal peace, the only way to eternal life, however you understand it to be, is through Christ, Jesus Christ that we declare and preach every Sunday in any Christian church around the planet. It does sound a bit arrogant, but you know, there's wonderful things in other world views, other world faiths, other world religions. But nobody claims the central place that Christ himself himself plays. You know, I think it was Buddha who said, I've seen the light. Christ was the only one that says, I am the light. You you know, um, we, we can earn our way to heaven just about in any other world religion. You can look at the process and it's about earning. And Christianity stands apart because it's about grace. What you cannot do in your own, I, the Lord God, will do for you. And all you have to do is bow the knee to me and accept me and invite Christ in. This sets us apart. This is unique amongst world religion and faith and philosophies. So when F.F. Bruce says he is the one, all-sufficient, intermediary, he is the one, all-sufficient, there is nothing else that we need to add to Christ and the salvation that he offers. He is the one all-sufficient intermediary between God and the world of humanity and all the attributes of God, his spirit, word, wisdom and glory are disclosed in him, meaning Christ. So all reconciliation, what's reconciliation mean? Anybody want to give me an idea? Reconciliation. Let me read it. All reconciliation... Redemption, restoration, peace is through Christ. Be ye reconciled one to another, so we make our peace with each other, we restore our relationship with each other, we redeem each other. Creation groans, and that's touched on in Romans 8, isn't it? Even creation groans, waiting for its liberation and its redemption through the redemption of us, the human race. And, and the inference in these scriptures about creation is that it's a positive hostility on the part of the whole of the created universe. It's not just futility as expressed in a sense in some of these passages but it's a positive hostility on the part of the whole created universe. It is in conflict with its creator. I don't know about you but this planet just seems to be getting more and more feral in the natural and um, I think it's an amazing feat of creation power that in spite of what we have done to it because the Lord gave us dominion over this planet Earth at the beginning of days, didn't he? And we handed it over to Satan and Satan has a right to be here because we gave him that authority to be here and this is his realm and his fiefdom but he is a defeated Lord and he... He knows his his end and he's fighting a rearguard action ever since that time. But in spite of the fall or sin coming into this perfect creation, it still comes up every day. Majestic, magnificent, wonderful. But boy, when it turns on its edge, we all suffer. And guess what? We really can't do anything about it. If a storm's going to blow through Adelaide, and strike even one of our own brothers 
with a bolt of lightning that sends him straight to his Lord, then it's going to do it. We can't redirect it. We can't dial it back. We can't pre-program it. It's in conflict with its its creator. It also needs reconciliation with its creator. And so also, and if we go to Colossians 2, which is on the same page as where we've been on verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Even the hostile spiritual powers and principalities of the unseen world, as spoken on of in Ephesians 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and authorities and principalities, the unseen realms, even those are compelled. He, Jesus in verse 15 of Colossians 2 disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Whether you want to see it as fleshly powers and authorities or spiritual ones, doesn't matter. Same outcome. They are compelled to submit to Christ and some of you will be seeing those words in Philippians 2. Therefore God, verse 9, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ephesians 1. I'd like to read these verses. If you want to turn to Ephesians 1, just two verses. And then we're going from there to 1 Corinthians. Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, in many ways Ephesians and Colossians kind of link um, but Paul continually develops and his, his doctrine, his theology and his understanding of the revelation of Christ to him through the letters that he writes to these churches and the culmination of course is Romans which is the last letter he wrote and is the, the kind of the most full, uh, complete exposition of the divine revelation to Paul by God and through Jesus Christ himself. So there are similar notes being struck here between what I've just read in Ephesians and what's been say, said in Colossians. We go to 1 Corinthians 15. And if you'll persevere with me from verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We'll hear these similar resonating ideas again. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21. For since death has come through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over, remember Christ is the only mediator between 
God and us, then he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom of God the Father or to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. After Jesus has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, he will hand over the kingdom to God his Father. Verse 25, For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, meaning Jesus, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Jesus' mission from the very beginning, sent by God the Father into this world, born as human flesh and raised as a man amongst his people, had the divine birthright in him. He was God and man together. He had the divine authority. There is none higher that we can go to. Even at the judgement, Jesus is the judge on that day and his justice and his judgement is perfect. So no point going to God and saying, God the Father, I'm not happy with God the Son. You know, he's making life too hard for me. Like a lot of his early followers deserted him when the teaching got too tough. And, and he said to the disciples, well, will you, will you leave me too? And they said, well, where do we go for the words of life? You know, like, where do we go apart from you? There is no other. There is no other that we need to go to either because Jesus is perfect in his love for us and his mercy and his forgiveness. If ever we wanted a fair hearing from anybody, that's the place we go to. He is the one we bow the knee before for no matter what else. He is the one which will give us a perfect hearing. There must be peace. There must be peace. This world that we live in today is ridiculous. There must be peace. It has gone nuts out there on the roads. The news at night get more and more horrific. There must be peace. There must be an end to the cosmic conflict and that cosmic peace, that reconciliation of all creation on earth, above earth and beyond earth is made through the sacrificial death of Jesus on that cross 2,000 years ago. The wonder of the eternal purpose of God. Jesus Christ came for all humanity and through our redemption brings liberty and victory to all the material and spiritual creation. A list here of just a few things and you, you would be able to add many, many more. The, the Christ is the wisdom of God and he is the power of God. The Christ is the justice of God and he is the salvation of God. 
The Christ is the reconciliation of God and he is the healing of God. Christ is the absolute perfection of God. If you want peace in your life, go to Christ. Receive God's Son. Verse 21, as we bring this in. Once you were alienated from from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That stuff that you would never hope ever be see the light of day that you've done or been, never to receive any accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, in me the hope of glory. Now, it, it means you in the midst, you in you as in the midst. It also means in you as in the individual. You in Christ in me. Christ in the midst of us. Both understandings are appropriate in this context. We too can display the glory of the invisible God. Ourselves? No. Christ in us can display the glory of the invisible God. And and the sense of this is that that the presence of Christ and in other places, but Paul is talking about Jesus here, so he's not saying the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has been sent as a seal of the promise of things to come, of the glory to come, when we will be made right with, with God in his presence through Christ and we will be as he intended us to be from the beginning in perfection and we will imbibe, if you like, the glory of Christ himself. Our life, as Revelation explains even in the last chapter or talks about the tree of life, that our life in a sense will flow out from Christ himself. That will be our glory. But however, I'm wondering about here and now. With the indwelling Christ in us, Christ in me and you, the hope of glory, I'm wondering about for others. I'm wondering about for us here and now. We too, here and now, in this day, in this coming week, can reflect Christ to our world 
to our people in such a powerful way as to bring his life to them. So, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I guess the challenge from this this morning is allow the Christ's resurrection power to dwell in you richly. You bring revelation. You bring restoration. You bring resurrection. You choose to live redemptively. Remember, I'm not saying it's in anything in me that makes that at all possible. The preaching of the gospel is to them that perish foolishness. You know, it's crazy. And we touched on that verse somewhere else, I think, in a different way. You choose to live Christ in your world. It's your, their hope of glory. What happens to us? We launch out into new life in Christ and then we plateau and settle and we settle for far less. So common for us, isn't it? And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Allow the Christ in you to rise up for his glory. You be the wisdom of God. You be the power of God. You be the justice of God and the salvation of God. You be the reconciliation of God and the healing of God. You be the hope of glory in your world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we are so amazed that you, the Almighty One, the Great I Am, the, the Eternal, one. From age to age you are the same. You were before the beginning and you are after the end for in you there is no end. What a precious blessing that it is to us that you graciously come before us and give us Christ and say I want you to be my son, my daughter. And all you need to do is realise by revelation of the Holy Spirit and by understanding your own inner heart and motives that you need redemption too. And so, Lord, as you awaken with us a, a, a desire to reach out to you, either for the first time, to reach out to you and accept you into our lives and say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life, And Lord Jesus, I want to invite you into my life and ask forgiveness, Lord God, of all the sin in my life, that which separates me from you, that rebelliousness against you. Cleanse me of all that would would be held against me. Wash me clean through the blood shed by Jesus on that cross. For that is what you have ordained it to be. May it be so. Amen. May it be so. And so, Lord, we stir us up with that if that's where we are with you. If, if as a son and daughter, Lord, we have drifted from you today as we go into this new year, may Christ in me be the hope of glory. 
Lord, enable me, enable us to step up and embrace who we are in Christ more and more intentionally and more and more powerfully and flow through us by the power of your Holy Spirit to touch our world and change our world for your glory. Strive with us, Lord. Give us an itch in the saddle that we will never be satisfied with the mediocre. Embrace a religious timetable in our life and a moral way of thinking with values that are godly. There is so much more because of our standing in Christ that you have for us to do in this day while you tarry. Turn this world, Lord, in these last days. Usher hundreds and thousands and millions into your kingdom, Lord. Allow us to be the agent of recreation and resurrection, Lord, as your servants. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.